0: Well, like any bride-to-be, I was nervous and planning and running around like a chicken with my head cut off, and I had stuff being delivered from all over the place.
1: This is Tanya Dickstock. She's in the throes of wedding planning.
0: And I needed somewhere to store all of these boxes and whatnot that were coming in. There was one of the outer buildings.
1: This building was located on St. John's Manor. Tanya's family home, located on the island of Jersey.
0: It was an old squash court and nobody played squash. It was unused as far as I knew.
1: At this point, I should probably mention that Tanya comes from a family with a lot of money. So yeah, they have a squash court on their grounds, a squash court that sits unused.
0: So I thought, ah, perfect. Went out there, opened up the door, walked in, and there's just boxes everywhere. They're stacked taller than me, hundreds of them. And I'm looking around and I'm wondering what in the world is this? And they're dusty and covered in cobwebs. You know, my heart sank a little because I was like, oh, I need this area. Maybe I can throw them away. I mean, it's junk, right? So I'm, I'm looking at the labels and I noticed that there's a couple familiar names that are my trusts.
1: As is often the case with people who have money, they keep money in trusts. Trusts are a way of protecting their money from family squabbles, but also from real estate and inheritance taxes. That's what she's talking about.
0: The Russian trust, the Tyrol trust, they're on the boxes. And I'm thinking, huh, well, maybe they'll be useful later. You know, so we, we put them out in the stables and stacked them up.
1: Yeah, of course they have stables, too.
0: But I get my squash court so that I can use it for the wedding.
1: So Tanya's father is John Dick. John's home, St. John's Manor, briefly served as the headquarters for La a trust company, which means the company acted as trustee for people managing their assets, wealth, and whatever other stuff rich people need managed. Tanya was one of the people whose trusts were managed by La and she was intrigued by the boxes that had her name on them.
0: And it wasn't until later that we realized what was in the boxes. And uh, that's when the adventure began.
1: But Tanya and her then fiance, now husband, Darren, kept looking into the boxes. And it was a good thing they did. Because it turns out, these old dusty boxes contained hundreds of thousands of papers, which revealed the creative ways that La Hogue helped its clients avoid taxes and what Tanya and Darren have alleged are decades of financial fraud. And while it might seem a bit far removed from everyday people, it turns out the actions of offshore companies like La Hoog actually have a pretty big impact on all of us. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat, a series that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, the magic trick how a small island became home to some pretty sketchy financial dealings. First of all, it's not that Jersey. For all of you U.S. listeners, this is the island of Jersey, one of the Channel Islands that sits between the coasts of England and France. Jersey is what's called a crown dependency, which means the island's head of state is the Queen of England, but it still has its own parliament. It's a small island, just nine by five miles. But for a little place, it's got some big business operating there. Because today, Jersey's main economy is financial services. But it wasn't always that way.
2: I grew up in Jersey in the late 50s, early 1960s.
1: This is John Christensen. He headed the Jersey government's economic advisory service in the 80s and 90s.
2: And the principal industry at that time was tourism, with other industries, including horticulture, agriculture, fisheries, and quite a bit of niche light manufacturing. Fast forward to now, and the only industry really earning any foreign exchange or exporting externally is financial services, a complete takeover of the economy.
1: John was witness to Jersey's evolution from a local economy to one that catered to some of the world's largest financial institutions. Part of the reason these big banks were coming to Jersey is because it's a tax haven. Basically, a place where foreign investors and businesses get away with a lot of shit, including not paying corporate taxes. One of the hallmarks
2: of a tax haven, offshore secrecy. Jersey has tailored its laws to provide considerable levels of secrecy. Jersey allows people who have no connection to the island to set up offshore trusts and offshore companies and typically don't reveal anything about the identity of the real living person who benefits from these companies and trusts. A second hallmark of a tax haven typically is low or zero tax on non-residents Uh, And in that respect, Jersey absolutely falls into that category. Most corporations pay no tax at all. Now,
1: tax havens don't just randomly happen. They require government cooperation.
2: It didn't happen by accident. They tailored these things precisely to attract offshore financial services activity and bring in banks, big banks.
1: And you'd recognize some of these names. Citibank, HSBC, Royal Bank of Canada, Deutsche Bank, I could go on and on, but you get the picture. Anyway, one of these offshore companies that appeared in Jersey was La Hogue, and some of the trusts managed by La Hogue belonged to none other than John Dick's daughter, Tanya Dickstock. And then in 2010...
0: My father had come to me and said, bad news, Tanya, the trusts are bust, all the money's gone.
1: Damn. Damn. Tanya was understandably upset. The point of these trusts was that Tanya could leave them alone, not think about them, while they continued to grow. They're more like bank accounts than stocks that way. They're only meant to go up. She was expecting there to be half a billion dollars there. Instead, there was nothing. And she was asking, how the hell could that have happened?
0: So my father says, well, I understand if you want to talk to the trustees.
1: But... Before talking to the trustees and all of that, Tanya decides to bring it up with Darren, her partner and a former investment banker.
0: And he looked at it and he looked at me and he goes, oh, no, you understand you're being robbed. That's when I got really angry.
1: Tanya's father told her to look into the trustees, a.k.a. the people who are the custodians of the trust. And she ended up suing one of these trustees and LaHogue's managing director in a Jersey court. Basically, you've got the two
3: main operators of this thing, La Hook, with these guys called Richard Wigley and Wayne Weaver.
1: I want to introduce James Hurley, but I feel like I need to address these names in some form or fashion. You got Tanya Dickstock, John Dick, Richard Wigley, and Wayne Weaver. I swear these sound like cartoon characters. This is James Hurley, a business journalist at The Times-UK. So wiggly has been found by Denver courts who have been forging and backdating
3: dozens of loan documents.
1: His lawyers have since disputed this. It might not be clear at first what a loan would have to do with these trusts. They don't seem broke, but a loan can be very helpful. You see, if you got a loan, you don't have to pay taxes on it. For example, let's say there's a rich dude who has $45 million in his bank account, but then. Someone like Wiggly would say that $45 million was a loan so he wouldn't have to pay taxes on it,
3: which would be pretty steep. And then this other chap, Wayne Weaver, was found by the Securities
1: and Exchange Commission in the States to have been doing a pump-and-dumps stock fraud. Okay, let's see what you're doing, Weaver. In 2017, with a different company, Weaver was artificially inflating the price of a stock or pumping, usually by talking a big talk about it and then selling the stock for more than it's worth, a.k.a. the dump. Now look, this is some pretty sketchy shit. So sketchy, in fact, that La tried to move their head operation from Jersey to Panama. Panama? You know that country that's been at the heart of a load of scandals about people doing dodgy shit with money? Yes,
3: they denied their application. The Panamanian regulator actually shut the thing down, calling it hazardous to the public interest. So the first thing you sort of ask is, well, what sort of business were they doing with
1: this thing, La While Tanya and Darren were in the midst of trying to figure out that very question, they made a horrifying discovery while sorting through the documents. This is Darren and Tanya.
4: You've got this huge whiteboard that covers the whole wall, and there's companies and transactions and lines and... You know, it looks like a a murder chart.
1: I mean, this sounds like something out of a detective series. And Tanya and Darren, they're pissed and they want to find their missing money.
0: With the prime directive being follow the money. So we're drawing out all the transactions and all the people and all the companies. And we've got all these arrows going. And uh, we stood back and they went, oh, my God. It's your
1: father. Now, John Dick denies all of this. He denies that he's the owner of La Hogue. And to date, John Dick has not been found guilty of anything in any court of law. He continues to blame his former business partners for any of La Hogue's wrongdoing. And so far, there's been no finding of criminal wrongdoing against anyone associated with La Hogue. And the company has denied any wrongdoing, too. But also remember, this is just one trust that LaHogue held. Tanya and Darren started with the box that had Tanya's name on it. At this stage, they've realized that Tanya's money was gone, but there's still many more boxes to go through.
4: We basically locked ourselves in that room for about four months, just digging into the boxes, just trying to figure out what was there. It became pretty evident pretty quick that what we were sitting on was way more explosive than just Tanya's files.
1: From what they found... They believed that this affected many, many more people. They started recognizing names in the boxes, names they'd heard on TV, names of people associated with other alleged criminal activity. They started learning the particular coding system that LaHogue used for its clients and kept track of the various people involved. And then Darren and Tanya ran into something that could help them make sense of what they were reading.
4: Then we run into 11 ways to launder your money
1: a document that they say reveals the inner workings of La Hogue. And that's coming up after the break.
0: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
1: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. Do
4: you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. We get the welcome letter.
0: There was a letter to a client, and it was, you know, Dear Mr. Cowan, welcome to Lahoo. We're very happy to be able to help you. And we've got 11 particular specialties. We've included a one pager on each that's attached. Please be careful with these documents because you don't want them to fall into the wrong hands. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh my God, are they serious?
1: So, we got to look at a copy of this document too. And I was tripping. Like, this is how rich people do their business? Right there it says, summary of methods available to enable the movement of assets offshore. And each of these methods has a little paragraph describing the pros and cons of that particular tactic. Us broke folks have been doing it all wrong all these years. So to recap, La This Jersey-based trust company attracted clients who were interested in hiding their money offshore to avoid paying taxes. We're going to focus on the documents for a quick second, because a lot of LaHouge's operation allegedly included making fake financial papers. And we're talking fake bank statements, fake loans, fake
4: companies, fake filings. What do you want to do? We'll invent the documentation and then we'll put the people in place.
1: Part of the reason Tanya believed that her father might be behind all of this was when an old childhood memory came back to her as she was going through the boxes. She had this memory of going into her father's office when she was a little girl, looking for paper in a pen.
0: And there were piles of old paper, and there were boxes of old pens and old typewriter ribbon, old ink. And on the top shelf, There were old typewriters, old fax machines, just a bunch of really old, I thought it was junk, and I couldn't believe, why wouldn't you throw this away?
1: A room full of antiquated office supplies. She takes some of the old paper and an old pen. I mean, it's old, why not? Can't be that important, right?
0: And my father comes at me and I am told to know in certain terms, don't you ever touch that. <laughs> I was so shocked. I didn't know what I'd done wrong. I just knew I was in trouble.
1: And then Tanya came across a file containing confidential communications between Wiggly and some other LaHogue managers that included instructions on how to make fake documents.
0: He literally says... You got to be careful with the age of the paper and the ink so it lines up with the date on the
1: documents. Ah, it seemed clear to Tanya that that was all that old stuff was for, to make legit fates in her own family home.
0: And then we did get confirmation. We had a conference call with Wayne Weaver where Wayne laid out how... They stockpiled old ink, old paper, and how they could stitch up, I think was the way he put it, stitch up anybody they wanted.
1: I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but remember that movie, Catch Me If You Can, with Leonardo DiCaprio? You could do a whole lot of things with fake documents.
4: Basically, every type of business transaction you can think of buying and selling a real estate or buying and selling a company or a bankruptcy or investing in a company, making investments, right? That's the magic trick. To make it look like something that it's not. And then behind the scenes, you're moving the money away into something else.
1: The magic trick. That was a phrase Darren and Tanya used to describe what these fabricated documents could do. Whoosh, Abracadabra, there's a company. Poof. Now it's gone. Tanya and Darren have talked to a lot of financial experts about these documents and how LaHogue's particular scheme might have worked. One of those experts is Frank Casey. He's the guy who first caught on to what Bernie Madoff was doing, one of the world's most famous white-collar criminals. Frank explained how this scheme could be profitable. Basically, it's all about creating a paper trail and then erasing it.
3: There's something called layering, where you build layers upon layers of shell companies and other things and transactions so that you obfuscate the trail. And then what you do is not only layer them, you bankrupt these babies on paper so that they disappear. And so somebody coming back later says, well, the money went from XYZ to ABC. Well, ABC died. And we don't know where the money went because all the records are gone. So that's obfuscation and layering. You build layering in for complexity so
1: that people can't trace where the money's going.
3: You can use it for a lot of things.
1: It's crazy how all these rich folks do a lot of slick shit so they can stay rich. And one of those slick things that they would do is running a Ponzi scheme, which is what Bernie Madoff was known for. He essentially used new investors' money to pay off other investors. All the while, he's taking money from the pot, too. To Frank, LaHogue also looked like it was operating a type of Ponzi scheme.
3: We'll call it a Ponzi scam, but it's gonna be a debt Ponzi. Here, you set up a trust, the trustees maybe are issuing you phony debt, and that money's going somewhere, but you don't know where it is because you're just getting your monthly check as a beneficiary,
1: and you're fat, dumb, and happy until you run out of money. Tax evasion might just be the tip of the iceberg. And to give you an example of how some of this stuff is intertwined, One of the families apparently involved with La Hoog was the Maxwell family. And yes, I'm talking about Maxwell of Ghislaine Maxwell, the associate of sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Ghislaine is about to go to trial over charges related to sex trafficking of minors.
3: In New York this afternoon, federal prosecutors outlined the charges against Maxwell, who was arrested earlier today by the FBI at a property in New Hampshire.
1: Her brothers, Kevin and Ian Maxwell were named in some of the documents. Documents related to longstanding debts, bankruptcies, and loans. You see, it kind of runs in the family. Their father, Robert Maxwell, was a big media magnate in the 80s. He was second only to Rupert Murdoch, founder of News Corp and 21st Century Fox. Maxwell was the head of the Mirror Group, and when he died in 1991, it came to light that his company was utterly broke. Not only that, Robert had stolen money from his staff's pension funds. His family, mainly his two sons, were left to deal with the massive debt. In 1992, Kevin Maxwell became Britain's biggest bankrupt, in part because of his father's philandering. And when he was asked about the missing money from the Mirror Group, he claimed it was all gone. No shit is missing. So finding the Maxwell name in the La Hogue boxes raises a couple of questions about why they would be tied to this company that allegedly made financial fakes for its clients. Always ask yourself the simple question, why would it be
3: useful to have a debt that seems to exist on paper but may not be real? And one reason you might wanna do that is, is to throw your creditors off the scent. This is reporter James Hurley again. So say you've got real debts owed to someone and they're chasing you for the money. If you're very publicly seen to be uh, just narrowly avoiding insolvency, what's the response from your other creditors? Do they give up their pursuit? Because you've just narrowly avoided going bankrupt by giving your last bit of money to this thing that actually behind the scenes might not even exist then maybe your other creditors dropped their pursuit.
1: Ew, man. Only if us broke people could get away with this. Even though the Maxwells claimed not to have any more money after their father's death, there's some evidence to suggest that there still was some money. I mean, when Ghislaine was arrested, she had tens of millions across a few bank accounts. According to James reporting, when asked about LaHogue, the Maxwells have stated that they had no recollection of working with LaHogue and no knowledge of any tax avoidance scheme. Look, there's a lot going on with the Maxwells, to say the least. Way too much to cover in this show. But at the risk of sounding like an ad, if you're interested in a deeper dive about the Maxwells and LaHogue, check out season one of Power, another podcast we produce. Now, back to our story. At this point, you're probably thinking... Where are the authorities here? Who else is doing the investigating? Because after Tanya and Darren found these documents, they contacted the Jersey police who came and collected the boxes. They filed a report. But since then, not much has happened. Tanya has tried to initiate legal proceedings against her father in Jersey, but to no avail. And it wasn't an aberration or an oversight. In fact, some argue it was pretty intentional. You'll find out why after the break. Now, remember earlier on, we explained before that Jersey is a crown dependency, which means the head of state is actually the queen. And while Jersey does have a parliament, it might be a stretch to say it operates in a truly democratic way.
2: So Jersey has a most remarkable constitutional arrangement, remarkable in that although it calls itself a democracy, most of the trappings of democracy are just, uh, they're not existent
1: This is John Christensen again, Jersey native and former economic advisor to the Jersey government. He explained that even though Jersey has a parliament, it's unicameral, which means there's just one legislative chamber called the States of Jersey. Like, imagine if the U.S. just had the House or the Senate.
2: And that means you don't have the kind of second house acting as a check or balance.
1: Plus, political parties aren't as big of a deal in Jersey. A lot of politicians stand as independents.
2: But most importantly, you don't have a formalized government and opposition on the Westminster model. And that's particularly important for anywhere that's hosting a massive offshore financial center because it means that, for example, a law relating to trusts or forward, there isn't a formalized opposition whose job it is to scrutinize it carefully and to challenge the government over the way in which that bill has been shaped up. So it doesn't happen. Another component of Jersey's government structure
1: is that some of the key roles are actually appointed positions. And since the queen is head of state, it's her responsibility to make some of these key appointments. One of those positions is that of bailiff. Now in the US, the bailiff is pretty much the police officer in the courtroom. But in Jersey, it's a much more powerful role. The bailiff is both president of the island's Parliamentary Assembly and the senior judge. Seems a little too close for comfort, in my opinion. And even for the political positions that aren't appointed, it's often an insular group of people who are elected to legislative and judicial roles. People who've worked together before, often in the private sector. In fact, a number of the judges today in Jersey are the same folks who worked in law firms that were instrumental in the setup of various companies, like La Hoog. Are you getting
2: the picture now? Senior politicians in a cabal of people who took the key decisions were very, very heavily involved with developing the tax haven activity. And they had personal interests in this.
1: This just makes it hard to believe that you're participating in an objective and democratic process. As Tanya and Darren have discovered, some of the same people who were involved in the initial formation of La Hogue have served as judges or other authorities in cases involving La Hogue. But they've denied any conflict of interest. And there's very little recourse to call out these potential conflicts of interest or to bring in some independent oversight. Often when people speak out in Jersey, it's at their own peril.
2: When you're a very senior civil servant, you can either choose to turn a blind eye and hope you'll retire happily and get a, a medal from the Queen for the long service, blah, blah, blah. Or at some stage you have to dig in and say, no, I, I'm not prepared to become complicit with corruption at that level
1: and John was the latter. When he had the courage to speak out, that meant he had to leave the island where he had grown up. Tanya has also had to make difficult decisions because she's had a lot of trouble getting the Jersey authorities to investigate this case any further. Tanya has also brought a suit against her father in a Colorado court for fraud and related claims. Her father has denied the allegations, and the case is still ongoing. Tanya and Darren are now in the fight and have committed themselves fully to investigating this matter, which means using their own resources to pay for lawyers and analysts. It also means a high level of public transparency, which includes scrutiny into their own finances and payments. So basically, they put everything on the line because they're the only people right now who've attached their names to this investigation.
0: You'd wonder, well, why aren't more people coming forward and going, hey, he's robbing me.
1: This is Tanya again.
0: When somebody steals from you the money you stole or got through illicit means, you can't go cry to the police, can't go to the authorities, because what you were doing to get the money was a crime. So who are you going to cry to? So I think there are a lot of people that are probably pretty upset, but they can't come forward because they don't have clean hands.
1: And it's not just the Lahoo clients who might want to keep quiet. It's the island culture. Some of the folks we talked to referred to something called the Jersey Way, which today is more of a shorthand for shut up and just let things be. As John Christensen described,
2: It's not just secrecy, but small island communities are very inward looking and are able to police dissent they'll say, oh, yeah, anyone can say whatever the hell they want. But if you dissent on something as substantial as this, then the counterattack will be brutal. Speaking out is this an act of treachery. Um, it's very much like, you know, living in Jersey or living in, in any small community, you become part of the team. If you speak out against the team, then you are a traitor. So by
1: subscribing to this Jersey way, and not being a traitor to the island, means you kind of end up being a traitor to everybody else. Because at this point, it's estimated to be $37 trillion that's held offshore in various companies. Money that's not being taxed and not being put back into society. Of course, most of us don't want to pay taxes. But we do it to have roads, good schools, clean water, and all this other stuff. It's that social contract we made with each other. So... When you don't tax $37 trillion, that's money we all don't get.
4: It's not doing anybody any good.
1: They're in stock again.
4: It is where your health care is. It is where your retirement is. And that's that's what's wrong here. And That's why we, we're trying to say, don't pay attention to it for Tiny's problem. It's your problem. Whatever money you put into the system, they're going to take.
1: And this concentration of wealth that exists outside of the rest of the global economy, it creates more instability and inequity for the rest of
2: us. The end result is that tax havens have helped to contribute to a massive increase in inequality across the world, leading to social instability, a political collapse, undermining democracy. It's led to inefficiency of capital allocation, leading to less productive economies. It's encouraged wealth extraction. In other words, there ain't much good that we can say about the role of tax havens in the global economy. Do they impact ordinary Joes and Joannas, the answer is yes, in many very important ways.
1: Man, this is so much more than just a family feud, because Tanya's investigation into her father's company reveals something larger about the offshore money, these illicit economies that most people just don't have access to or even know about, even if we're not aware of them, even if we can't get information about them there's no doubt that we're all impacted by them. Just think about what over $30 trillion would do if it were being put back into the economy. Yeah. So Tanya, she knows she's being cheated here. But we're being cheated too. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just 2 dollars a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. So his fall was quick and severe. And certainly within the science world, he went from being a star to
3: someone who brought, you know, shame, not just on himself or his university, but really on the
1: whole field. He gave the whole field, a, you know, a terrible black eye. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. The producer for this episode is Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Special thanks to Steve Ackerman, Mark Rivers, Peggy Sutton, and Ella McLeod.